Yeah, what the hell, Shauna? Why all's well that ends well? You love your problematic Shakespeare plays, or do you? I, I think people come to me with their problematic Shakespeare plays. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 828, Shauna's All's Well. Last spring of 2022, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater produced All's Well That Ends Well, famously one of Shakespeare's so-called problem plays, directed by friend of the pod, Shauna Cooper, who's joined me twice here on the podcast to talk about Taming of the Shrew, another of Shakespeare's problematic plays. All's Well tells the story, and I'm quoting here from my favorite reference book, Pop-Up Shakespeare, Helen loves Bertram, but Bertram loves Diana. But Diana doesn't like Bertram, so she helps trick him into marrying Helen, who was played in Shauna's production by another of my favorite podcast guests, Alejandra Escalante. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to talk to Shauna about her production of All's Well before it closed back in May, but I share our conversation now because I love talking to directors about how they make Shakespeare's trickier plays work, something that Shauna Cooper seems to specialize in. I think I'm ready. I'm really ready to do a play that works very well. You know what I wouldn't give to do Twelfth Night or you know, just one of the beautiful, perfect plays? Well, let's get this out of the way, yeah. first of all, that the, your production of All's Well at Chicago Shakes ended very well. It was a really lovely production that really made the case, as far as I was concerned, like, oh, maybe this play is more interesting than its reputation. Um, knowing, I mean, based on what you just said, how did you find your way into All's Well and then through it and in a way that found that that emotional heart that made it uh, reach so many people. You know, I when they first called me, Chicago Shakes, about doing it, I had that same question mm -hmm. of why All's Well, why now? Um, we batted around a couple other plays, but you know they were working their way through the canon, and so the list was slim oh, sure, in terms sure. of what the other options were. And I found, as I was trying to figure out what play to do coming out of the pandemic, just spiritually, the political dramas and the plays filled with violence, I was just struggling to imagine spending time, months and months, steeping myself in that world. Yeah. And so I kept coming back to All's Well and feeling like, well, at its heart, it seemed like a play that's about a lot of deeply flawed people yeah. at these transitional moments in their life, growing up and growing older and trying to figure out what's important to them, who they're going to be in the next stage of their life, who they love, what... Um, their home and values are going to be. And that, I started to realize, just felt so much like us as a world coming out of the pandemic. 100%, yeah. And, and where so many of us are individually, as well as a metaphor for just our cultures and societies coming out of this really harrowing time and trying to figure out 
what the next stage of the world and our individual lives are going to look like. Well, and you mentioned Twelfth Night. Like Twelfth Night, all's well begins with death. It yeah. begins with grief. Yes. And that, and you, and you staged it beautifully and simply. So it, it sets us, it sets us in this world where you go, well, all right, how do we recover from this? That's right. Yeah. How do we? The world begins in a in a place of loss, grief, mourning, sickness with yeah. the dying king, and so it does feel like a world much like our own. And then instead of having, you know, these heroes or heroines who just combat that all with a plum, it's actually just filled with all of these people who are really struggling, you know, yeah. who are flawed, who make a ton of mistakes. Yeah. And that actually just felt really human and true to me. Mm -hmm. And I loved that they actually do, I think, through those mistakes, learn and become more authentic versions of themselves by the end of the play. Mm -hmm. And then what those people go on to do, you know, Bertram and Helena, who they go on to love, is it each other? Do they actually find themselves in other relationships along the way is a story for another play. Right. You know, but we right. get to go on the journey of them kind of finding themselves. And I also, I love the generational aspect of the play, that it's it's really, it's these young people growing into adulthood, but it's also older people, like um, the Countess finding herself after the loss of her husband. Yeah. And I love that we get to hear their stories as well and that this capacity for reinvention and finding yourself anew can arrive at all different stages of your life. Yeah. And you really feel that in all's well in a way that I think you often don't get in theater in general. Well, and I don't, I, I don't know the text well enough to know whether you tweaked it that much, but there was something lovely about the two older characters, the king and the countess, um, in their own ways, being mentors to the younger generation. Mm -hmm. There was something really, rather than just being antagonists who are judging and judgmental, they, they seem to be kind of helping out. Yeah, I think they, in their each in their own way, are really rooting for mm. Helen and Bertram. I think are heartbroken when mistakes are made along the way. Yeah. I think for the king, he actually, you know, as much as he's trying to help, he's really his own ego and his own sense of frailty and need to prove himself as a leader and as right. a man on, you know, after being so sick, it's really those ghosts that lead to him insisting that they get married and, and kind of set the whole rest of the play in action. And yeah. I think he doesn't even really realize that he is to blame until maybe an inkling at the end of the play, mm -hmm. he has that incredible, uh, all yet seems well. And you sort of sense that he's like, everything is, is being wrapped up and ending the way it's supposed to as far as his life experience right. and what he thought he was supposed to try to make happen, but right. he senses that it's not quite right. Yeah, And that um, I think actually in a, in a kind of funny way, maybe that's the beginning of his moment of change. Again, that we don't get to see, right. but we just see the inkling of it beginning. Right. It's not, um, there are no platitudes. It's just in the play. It's just people figuring shit out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that isn't that like life, yeah. you know? So I think, I think, you know, I started out so outside the play and I completely fell in love with it over the yeah. journey because it started to feel 
so true, so yeah. messy and flawed and human and much more like life yeah. than than almost any of Shakespeare's plays I've ever worked on. Well, and not that a not that a single actor can make a production director proof, but you cast Alejandra Escalante as Helen, who you also have worked with as a Kate in The Taming of the Shrew, who I saw play Hotspur at Oregon yeah. Shakespeare Festival. And there is no greater sympathetic uh, center of a play than Alejandra in whatever role it is. Yeah, I think that's really true. Ale is has this amazing ability to both uh, oh, all of the things she captures. I mean, she is exquisite with the language and yeah. effortless. Yeah. Um, she does not have a false bone in her body, you know? So when we're working, there are times where it's like we, we're sort of trying to find our way and I'll make a proposal, just like it's not, that's not it. And it's always because it's like not where the truth of the thing lives sure. for her. Yeah. And she, she'll understand what is missing, but not, she won't fake it. Yeah. You know, she's like, I will find my way to tell that part of the story in an authentic way that works for me. And yeah. I just love that about her. And then she has such a, you know, fierce mind and intellect and deep heart and vulnerability and then is so quirky and yeah. lovely and, um, you know, not afraid to make a fool out of herself in the way that, like, that that role really, like, um, shines from that because mm -hmm. Helen is making so many mistakes and then is just so true. And, um, yeah, I just adore her and she's... Um, it's one of the great joys in this business where you get to work with people repeatedly and, and getting to work with Alejandra twice in one year. Mm -hmm. So close, um, those projects being so close to each other, I feel like I really got to know her as an artist and her process in a deeper way. And, and she, me, and, and that, it's, that's just one of the richest, you know, experiences I feel like you can have as an artist. Oh, as and like, yeah, it gives you that shorthand in rehearsal. Yeah. And, yeah, and you can come at richer, greater, deeper understandings more quickly. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, and, well, and you mentioned, I can't remember whether the microphone was going or not, but you mentioned the other alternative might have been Richard II, and as we talk about it, I would kill to see Alejandra play Richard II. Right? Oh my gosh, she would be incredible. That's such a great idea for that role. We'll just we'll have to do that next time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> Hi, this is Cynthia Ryder, managing director of the Hartford Stage Company, and you're listening to the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We'll be playing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel at the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan, on November 9th and 10th, 2022. For our performances in early 2023, check out the touring page at our website, reducedshakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed, at Reduced, for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with director Shauna Cooper, talking about her 2022 Chicago Shakespeare Theater production of All's Well That Ends Well. How do you handle a young male ingenue like Bertram, who is like one of those Shakespeare guys that you just go, oh, why are you ending up with him? You know, what do you do with Bertram and those, and Claudio and Leontes, really? I mean, yeah. so many. So many fraught 
men yeah. and boys in these plays, which again, you know, doesn't feel untrue. <laughs> True. Um, and you know, Bertram to me feels like he holds so much of the kind of, you know, consequence of these philosophies that we have inherited of boys will be boys and, mm -hmm. you know, that boys growing up will behave badly and that's just, you know, a kind of, their prerogative, gonna, that's yeah. part of who they are. And, and I think the incredible thing with Bertram is that he's, one, he has a really powerful mother and she won't tolerate it, you yeah. know? So yeah. I feel like you really got that in the relationship between Aura Jones and Dante that, she was so disappointed in him when she discovered what he had done. And um, this is not the young man I raised. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think the beautiful thing about Dante and a lot, a big reason why we cast him is that he is someone who really wears his heart on his sleeve. And you get, um, I think, I think Bertram, this, if you look at the story from Bertram's side, he really gets trapped in a corner and he's just like just gotten out from under his father's shadow and there's so much in the play yeah. about be the man your father was yeah. and so I think when he goes away it's the beginning he thinks of this his life adventure right. and then to immediately be told oh no you have to marry the girl you grew up with and who is from your past and you haven't even had the opportunity to explore and see who you love and how you might feel and what you might want you can understand someone feeling trapped by that. Now, he doesn't handle it well, you know, <laughs> True. which I think yeah. we can all agree about. But I, I felt like it was important to both be able to empathize with Bertram while also not overlook the terrible things he says and does. But, you know, I think um, Bertram and Helen, they just both m make a lot of mistakes. They're in a kind of untenable situation. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we understand that. And that's so your young adulthood, right, is you end up in over your head, and then a lot of what forms you it are the decisions, good and bad, that you make in those moments. Mm -hmm. And so I think we witness them make a lot of mistakes but then learn and grow from them. Yeah. And so it was important to me in the casting of Bertram that we cast someone, one who was very young. I mean, Bertram, I remember when we were doing, um, you know, Dante is from Canada, and so we cast him via Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we were meeting him on Zoom, and everyone in the casting office was like, I hope he's going to look 18 when he gets here. You know, oh like, I think we were all a little nervous that he was just going to actually look totally underage. Oh, and like I 12. Bob oh. coming up to me when, you know, Dante had arrived. He was like, he's perfect. You know, <laughs> he was like, oh, thank God. But, you know, you can't always tell yeah. over Zoom, and you yeah. really, you know. How nervous-making um, was figuring out how to do the bed trick, all's well that ends well's famous bed trick? yeah. It, you know, one thing that opened up that part of the play for me is I teach at Northwestern, and I did a class with my MFA directing and acting students during the year, and we used All's Well as the source material to explore. And actually, they brought so much like life and vitality and understanding the play through their actual youth. I mean, they're just mm. so many of them are at the moment 
in their lives of the characters of these plays, it really blew it open for me. And I, I do have to thank them because I feel like there was so much, including the bed trick, which I think um, there was a piece, uh, a kind of physical exploration that a couple of the female identifying performers did. I think it was actually one director and one actor, but it really explored the dynamic between Diana and Helen and mm -hmm. this kind of like sexual sex positivity, female power yeah. element to that friendship that was a great, again, way to just help understand the fun and the friendship yeah. that is at the core and of the that sisterhood. moment and yeah. the sisterhood yeah. so that it's not just about tricking this young man like that is part of what's going on but I think we really chose to not focus on that I mean the one moment that kind of was a physical moment um right before it happens in the play and interestingly Shakespeare doesn't doesn't have a scene in which the moment happens right Correct. we get the setup and then you hear about it after yeah. and actually you hear a lot about it after from Helena and her own kind of guilt and doubt mm -hmm. in this fascinating play scene which I love but is really thick it's interesting it's like the scene that's hardest to understand and I don't think anyone comes away understanding it I mean I think Alejandra played it beautifully but I think the language is so dense and it's yeah. interesting I don't know if Shakespeare just felt like he had to um, bury it a little bit or yeah. but it it's fascinating because it's very hard to understand I actually, I think there was a day in rehearsal where I asked Alondra, I was like, what is she saying? I just really, and she talked me through it and she understood every moment and I thought, wow, that is beautiful. I don't know how to make that legible for an audience, but I think yeah. spiritually it was there and yes. emotionally in her performance. Um, but we, there was this moment that actually the two actors in our production created in a physical exploration before, just early on in the process that really just set up the sisterhood, the friendship, the mystery, the kind of environment and um, just vibe of the whole scene, uh -huh. which I ended up kind of falling in love with where they just, they came to each other and you really got the like two girls sneaking out in the middle of the night yeah. to kind of do something naughty and, and uh, they each had a candle and then at the last moment, they blew their candle out. And then suddenly it was darkness. Yeah. And I just loved that impulse because it it leaned into the mystery of it. It, lit, it. it also made it so that there was like a little tease for the audience, but then it's really up to the audience's imagination sure. to kind of think about what's going to happen next. And it leaned into the adventure between <laughs> yeah. them. Well, and it's a moment of relief, I think, too, because Helen is so alone for most mm. of the play. But when she when she discovers these women, and, yeah. and, and Diana in particular, you go, okay, now she does have some allies on her journey. Exactly. And that's um, uh, heart, heart, not warming, but, you know, it's a, we feel good as an audience going, okay, she's not alone anymore in this struggle. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of what the play is about is finding in these transitional moments in life where you're evolving, finding what your next version of home is going to be. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about the play is it actually reminds us in this kind of fraught fairy tale that the romantic idealized version of home 
particularly when seen through the eyes of the status quo, is, is fraught and tricky and often doesn't deliver. But there are other unconventional versions of home that can show up in the form of friendship, in the form of you know, these wild women in Italy living life on their own terms, in the form of you know, this very unconventional relationship between the Countess and Lavache that transcends status yeah. and um, uh, all sorts of, of beautiful things. And so I find the play really inspiring in terms of how it actually shatters the idea of a fairy tale kind of love or the fairy tale kind of home and suggests that the unconventional may lead to greater happiness and joy, in fact, in your life. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy Podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Shauna Cooper's Chicago Shakespeare Theater production of All's Well That Ends Well closed back in May, but her next production plays at Seattle Rep January and February 2023. And Chicago Shakespeare's next production is the equally problematic Measure for Measure, which begins performances this weekend. Go to chicagoshakes.com and seattlerep.org for more information. Then send us your problem play solutions via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com, or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks, as always, to fraught man-boy Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Harolyn Mills. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Cynthia Ryder, the managing director of Hartford Stage. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 828-2484ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. So you just you did all well that ends well Chicago shakes. You just did oh my god taming of the shrew for the seventeenth time uh, in San Diego. What fun loving light hearted romp do you have coming up next? I'm doing a production of Metamorphosis at Seattle Rep uh, with four actors, and um, it's this beautiful adaptation, strange, scary, violent, funny, all the things. Uh, created by three writers in residence at the Globe in London during the pandemic. Actually, uh-huh. it was one of their first pieces coming out of the pandemic. And you really feel our moment. You feel a kind of modernity. You feel a kind of authenticity of self in the piece. Um, wrestling, I think, just really with w- how th- these myths continue to live in us now and um, how we wrestle with our inheritance of that violence and these foundational kind of ideas of power and gods and humans and and brutality that are at the core of our civilization and what do we make of that? Uh, so and that's that- next. Um, <laughs> very lighthearted, fun, romp. <laughs> and then someday maybe someone will hire me to do Twelfth Night or 
you know, I would happily do Midsummer Night's Dream again or, you know, <laughs> just any play that doesn't have something to be solved. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.